Welcome to Bad Patient, Malpractice Makes Perfect. I'm Robin Donovan. And I'm Laura Beers. And we are two non-medical and non-experts sifting through this week's health news. Every week, Laura sends me four hints, and they are... Uh, this week's are um, memory or boosting memory, science resolution, pot smoking mamas, and fatigue. And we're going to discuss four stories on those topics. But before we do, Laura, we had a listener question this week, and you know how we feel about listener questions. Yay! <laughs> it's pretty freaking exciting. So this one comes from Whitney in Washington. She reached out to me um, on Instagram, actually, to ask about fake meat products. She wanted to know, are they healthy? And do people who are vegetarian and vegan actually eat them? So um, this question is a little bit in a gray area, right? Because healthy is kind of tough to define. But I reached out to a friend and Portland area vegan dietitian who I felt like would be the perfect person to answer this question. And what he told me is that in general, less processed is better, particularly in the case of soy products. And he said for himself, he eats, you know, he eats processed products like rarely. But he felt that in, in terms of preference that a lot of vegetarians and vegans are not making those choices because of flavors or because they dislike meat. It's more of an ethical, religious, environmental type of choice. And so, you know, in that case, it doesn't really, it doesn't really make any difference. So I didn't want to only have one source. So I also checked out um, a vegan cooking website called cadreskitchen.com. And she had a really cool quote that I liked and wanted to share. Um, She said, that, you know, she was talking about ha- still having a craving for flavors that she grew up with and she grew up um, eating meat. She said, while I do have an ethical issue with meat, dairy, and eggs, I don't have an ethical issue with grilled flavors, smoky flavors, chewy textures, or creamy textures. So I thought, touche, Kadri. And if you guys want to check that out, it's C-A-D-R-Y-S kitchen.com. Um, and I think there's a really important question that comes out of this, Laura, and that is, have you ever consumed tofurkey oh a what a tofurkey it's like a tofu turkey I'm, you're I'm, t- you're taking all the fun out of this because now we know you never have <laughs> this may surprise you robin but i've never had tofu <gasps> whoa no that does surprise me never never no. ever ever not knowing ever 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 no um Come to my house, <laughs> sit in my kitchen. I will make you all the things. Then you've never had tofu. No, Laura, Robin. Some things are. I mean, some things are more delicious with tofu. I'm trying to think of what they are. <laughs> or listen, I was a vegetarian for two years, and I was a gluten-free vegetarian, which is a really good recipe for being an impossible guest. And, and I don't know. I mean. I might go back if I could, but I think that tofu has a place in everyone's diet and tempeh as well. It's not just for vegetarians. Um, Tempeh is like a a cultured soy product. I've never had that either. Um, Well, tempeh is arguably more healthy than tofu. Yes, ma'am. 
what was the question? What was the listener question? <laughs> the listener question was, is our, our fake meats healthy and do vegetarians and vegans actually eat them? Okay. Are you implying what that is, I'm on a tangent here? <laughs> what is fake meat? Okay, so fake meat is just like tofu bacon or tofurkey, which is like tofu turkey. So it's soy-based vegetarian and vegan products that mimic the taste and texture of meat. So you can get sausage, you can get ground quote-unquote beef, you can get tofurkey. So there's this whole like universe of fake meat products. So is this like a veggie burger? Yeah, a veggie burger is an example, like a garden burger or whatever. Okay. Yes. That's an excellent example. I've never had a, a veggie burger. You know, I don't really love them. And actually, ironically, a lot of these products are not gluten-free because they use wheat gluten to improve the texture. So I can't even eat a lot of them, which is like, really, <laughs> I don't know. It just makes me feel like being gluten-free puts you like way down on the bottom of the eating totem pole. It just shows you how important gluten is to everything deliciousness. Ugh, You're I welcome. know. I know. I miss donuts all the time. Okay. Another thing, though, that I learned that I wanted to share is that there's been some, I think the scientific term is kerfuffle <laughs> over mm-hmm. the use of the use of soy in diets and people being worried that um, it could increase the breast cancer risk for women. And I found a little clip on the Mayo Clinic where they said that that is not actually the case. So Good. a lot of people are, th- are thinking that and want yeah, to I kind of it. clear that up. Yeah, so it turns out that um, the American Institute for Cancer Research actually recommends eating one or two servings of soy a day. Um, and so soy has this compound, or I don't actually know what it is, but it's called isoflavones, flav flavones, I think. Iso, I have no idea. <laughs> which are which are plant estrogens, and so. Um, High levels of estrogen in women, I think, are linked to increasing the risk of breast cancer, but that is not the same link with plant estrogen. So that is according to Mayo Clinic dietitian Catherine Zaretsky. So if Catherine's wrong, I don't want to be right. Um, <laughs> no, but I think I think also that, that Whitney's question about, like, do people really eat this? I mean, the Tofurky Company, I looked at their website today, and they have, like, dozens of different things. So... Apparently, yeah, people are eating this stuff. And, and shockingly, tofurkey is not actually all that processed. Like, I, I just assumed it was going to be chock full of awfulness, but it's really, it's like tofu and five other ingredients and not like guar gum, like filler type of ingredients, like five regular people food type ingredients. So it actually kind of made me want to try it. You've never had tofu turkey? (laughs) <laughs> tofurkey no i haven't and you know what's really surprising about that is that the the founder and creator of to- tofurkey lives in hood river which is like an hour away from portland and you know i don't think we need to be surprised by that but of course i mean are. we're in the heartland of tofu here so i didn't i didn't know there was a heartland of tofu there is okay. It's Portland. Actually, I really, I like tempeh better, and so does the creator of Tofurky, and I feel very vindicated in this point. It's delicious. So. Okie dokie. There you go. Mm-hmm. Are you ready for our first um, article? I mean, as much as I love soy, yes. Okay. 
So our first article comes from the LA Times, and it's, uh, exercise is good medication for boosting memory and thinking skills, new study, new guidelines say. Um, so these are new guidelines from the American Academy of Neurology, and it's recommending that twice a week people should exercise. Um, it doesn't say in this article for how long they should exercise, but twice a week. <laughs> um, and it can help preserve memory and thinking skills in people with mild cognition, cognitive impairment, which is different than Alzheimer's. Um, and by 2060, which I think is like kind of funny because I remember like when I'm like old. So I remember when it was like huh. in 2020, you know, XYZ will happen. But now we've moved right. to 2060 as like XYZ oh, will happen in 2060. No. Right? Because this is the end of 20, 2017. So it's too close to be the future. Two years from now, it's going to be 2020. How, how crazy is that? Um, oh my God. And then we're going to be 35 or something. I'm going to be 35. You're going to be like 17. <laughs> no, that's my father. <laughs> cool team forever. Um, so MCI uh, um, is something that happens in typically older adults. The older you are, the more likely you are to have it. This guy, Glenn, says that it affects... Um, like 6% from those that are age 60 to 64, and it goes all the way to 25% between 80 and 84. But it doesn't say how about, like, 90-year-olds, how often they have it, so I think that's interesting. We just, we just, at that point, we assume it's 100%, I don't know. We just, no. we just assume that it's at a loss. Um, <laughs> so, what I find really interesting about this article is that um, there isn't um, a study or science to rec- behind this recommendation. There's what? <laughs> there isn't. Um, it's just some, uh, the authors of the new clinical guidelines acknowledge there are no long-term studies that support this advice. However, studies that tracked people for six months suggest a possible benefit of twice weekly exercise for cognit- cognition in MCI. Um, What's more, exercise is also a general health benefit and generally limited risk. So, okay, that's not exactly true. I mean, listen, the way I do it, hashtag humble brag. No, I'm just kidding. I just, this is hilarious. They're like, listen, there's no evidence to suggest we're going to say twice a week. Why didn't they say five times a week then if there's no evidence? And also, I would say, like, if you are... (laughs) In these age groups, I mean, which go up to 84, that there is some risk of exercising. Not, not that I would ever tell anyone to exercise less. Like, I'm obviously, like, a huge proponent. But it's just kind of funny that they – this is weird. Yeah. I don't, and I don't get it. But the point is the doctors uh, should tell their patients with MCI that there are no – pharmacological or dietary agents currently shown to have a symbiotic cognitive benefit in MCI and there's no medications no medications are FDA approved for this purpose. So basically Mm -hmm. this is something that we don't know how to cure and we don't know how to stop (laughs) and so we're just like, I don't know, exercise twice a week. Yeah. You know what? So I I clicked through to this um, the journal is called Neurology 
And it's a special article they're calling a practice guideline update summary, which is just like four buzzwords they put together. New guidelines do not include recommendations for specific kinds of exercise that would help people with MCI. Short-term studies suggest that both aerobics and restraint training may be useful. I just, I just find this like fascinating that they can, that they can do this. (laughs) I know. This is my hypothesis. I clicked through to their article, which we could buy for the low, low fee of $39, but I'm going to say since it's not based on science, well, maybe we should skip that. And, okay, it says, objective to update the 2001 American Academy of Neurology guideline on mild cognitive impairment. I, I seriously think that someone sat down and was like, we haven't updated this in 16 years. Oh, man. And then someone else said, I don't know, shouldn't we tell people to exercise? And then they like looked at some data and then they were like, okay, let's do like, I I think, I I think they just felt like they were behind the times. I just feel like this article is a huge peek behind the curtain of like how science really works of like how science really works. Like, oh, we need to update these new guidelines. Okay. Which do they be? I don't know. No one studied this apparently because it's something that affects 25% of old people, but like, who who the hell cares? Didn't let's, seem important. Yeah. Let's not do a long term study. They're old. That's what just felt. That's just what it feels like. Like this it seems some, like yeah. some serious ages bullshit. I know it does. Basically, because I mean, we don't know how to cure it, we don't really know what causes it, and we don't know how to stop it or prevent it. So exercise, bitches. And then I wonder if it also falls under the trap of being considered like normal. Like I've heard that sometimes problems like fixable problems in people in their like 80s and 90s aren't diagnosed or treated because people are like, oh, well, the person's 90. So therefore, they don't, you know, it's just normal for them to to be confused, or it's normal for them to be really tired. It's normal for them not to be hungry. So I almost wonder, like, mild cognitive impairment, if you met someone who was, let's say this study, like 82, and they seemed a little forgetful, you'd be like, oh, I don't know, they're old. So I almost wonder if for a long period of time, we just considered that normal. And so we never like researched it. Oh yeah, for sure. That's what it feels like. It's kind, it's kind of weird. Cause they're like saying that there are no drawbacks to exercise. And I feel like people who work with older populations always talk about how beneficial exercise is, but also that people need to be careful just because of like the potential for falls and balance issues and, and all sorts of things. Right. So well, to be I'm fair, sh- they didn't tell them. I mean, it could be just water aerobics. It's not listed here. Mm-hmm. So it's not saying yeah. what to do. Just exercise. Does it say how long? I don't know. This thing doesn't. Yeah. And I can't... <laughs> the The information I can get on the website that's not behind the paywall does not tell us. Maybe that's what you get for $39. They let you know how much time they made up that you should exercise for. The weird thing is, I wonder, like, it doesn't seem like this reporter interviewed the people who did this, the, who, who did the study. I shouldn't even say that. Who, the people who wrote the clinical guidelines. I mean, it looks like she read the piece, but it doesn't seem like she talked to them. So I'm kind of curious as to, like, that seems like the most obvious question, right? Like, okay, say we're going to follow these guidelines. Two days a week, we're going to exercise. What counts as exercise? 
especially in these populations. I mean, you know, you get 80 and 80 to 84, like what are they saying equals exercise? Yeah. Man. Just... Hey, hey, do you know about the Iron Nun? No. Okay. The Iron Nun is this woman and she's like a million years old. And she did Iron Man's like into her 80s. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking, I was just thinking like, man, I wonder like what kind of activity I'll be doing assuming that I lived to my, into my 80s. And then I remembered this lady. She's a Catholic n- nun and she keeps, Nuns I think she stopped. <laughs> yeah. No, no. There's Buddhist nuns and all sorts of things. You can be a nun in many, in many religions. So anyway, she keeps setting these, <laughs> these like age group records because there's no one else in her age group. And one of her proudest accomplishments apparently is that for many different races, they've had to create a new age group for her and which she feels like is opening the door for more octogenarians to, to race. Um, her name is Madonna Buder. I, I don't, B-U-D-E-R. Anyway, if you Google Iron Nun, somebody made a really cool commercial based on her and you can see her in action. She's wonderful. Awesome. <laughs> That's right. I can take any story and make it be about triathlon. So, so there. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. You ready for the next article? Absolutely. So our next one comes from um, the Daily Meal and is the healthiest New Year's resolution for 2018, according to science. According to science! <laughs> As opposed to what? According to Jesus Christ himself. No, it's what what this article is bitching about is that um, there are all <laughs> kinds of people who will write a blog uh, article or do like a clip about how to do a um, for your New Year's resolution, and they don't about like do. being he- healthier, and they don't know science. So what the fuck are they talking about? They don't know science. So the science has proven that. Um, that you should use intuitive eating. Do you know what intuitive eating is, Robin? Is that where you just eat what you feel like? Yes. Eating? Yes. You're supposed to listen to your body and figure out what your body really wants and just like... No! We already talked... Okay, but we already know this is wrong because remember we did that... We had that listener question about cravings? Yes. One study published in the Journal of American Dietitian Association followed oh. almost 80 all-white, obese, and chronic dieters through two different health interventions. One of the groups started a modest diet, slightly calorie reduction instructions with on the nutrition of food, etc., while the other learned about intuitive eating and size acceptance. And the people, 41% of the dieters committed commitment started to wane over time but only eight percent of intuitive eaters felt the felt motivated to quit which i feel like that's because they were allowed to eat whatever they wanted but motivated (laughs) to quit like what like typically i think that means i'm I'm not motivated so therefore i quit (laughs) yeah that's like wonky wording oh man i just thought it was very funny and they're like they're generalizing the study to the entire population where the study, which, as you pointed out, was a tiny sample size, was, like, chronically obese 
white women, right? So I don't know. Or did I put? Did I make up white? Yeah, no, maybe they just are quietly. white. They are white. Okay, age thirty to forty-five. So they're in our age bracket. Oh, and it wasn't eighty; it was seventy-eight. Almost eighty. They were. They were very bes- almost eighty. Okay. Yeah. All right. We'll give it to him. Um. I mean, I like the size acceptance piece. Like, I like, I like that idea. I think I just don't like this article. I know, but it's science. But it's but it's like the wrong science. Like the healthiest. This is the healthiest New Year's resolution, possibly for obese white women from age thirty to forty-five, maybe. Like this is this is the right New Year's resolution for like possibly for a tiny group of people. Like assuming this study is they could reproduce it, like it would only apply to this little tiny group. I cannot believe they put according to science in the headline and then misused the science. Like if you're going to say according to science, then at least get the science right. Oh my God, for God's sake. Yeah, science hates to be misquoted. They get so angry about it. I mean, give science a break. It's been a tough year for science already. Jesus. Everybody keeps saying science says stuff and they just like that science did not say that. Ugh. And the thing is, there it's was like a, there everyone was room. says that. I, yes. I know. It's like um someone told me once, you know how you can tell someone's about to bullshit you is they is they say, "Well, statistically speaking," and then they just like whatever. If I'm like, "Laura, statistically speaking, Eating a diet of 100% marshmallows is going to lengthen your life. I mean, you think I'm right because I said, statistically speaking, at the beginning of the sentence. And that's a tough phrase to say. So you think I'm smart, you know, just right off the bat. But, okay, I think, I think the, the most annoying thing about this is that this, the actual study that they're talking about was legitimately kind of cool and interesting and hits on a, a social issue that's really kind of underreported, which is that obesity is like one of the last bastions of, of shaming that we permit as a culture, right? Yeah. You can't shame people for 101 things, but we still get into fat shaming all the time. And there was a way to make this article about that and to talk about that. And there was even a way to like link it into New Year's resolutions. But instead of doing that, they like wrote this article, which is now entirely unhelpful because it's just wrong. All right, you got me this week because I was like, I'm not going to be mad about any of the articles. <laughs> I'm angry. <laughs> yeah, I just thought it was it was a cool topic, and then I just it just I didn't feel like it followed through. Plus, it doesn't really okay, say what intuitive eating is in the article. I had to look it up and figure out what <laughs> it was because I was like, "What the fuck is intuitive eating? It's not <laughs> as intuitive as you think." <laughs> You were surprised by what you learned? Uh, no, I just, I mean, that's what I do, I guess. I eat when I'm hungry. <laughs> Intuitive eating. But I don't think I've ever come across the, com- uh, the, I've never had the situation where I've had two options, a cupcake and kale. Let me tell you, kale has never been in my house, I don't think, ever. So, <laughs> like, that was never, that was never a fucking option. And like cupcakes, oh my gosh. This- like when I eat cupcakes, I eat like 12 of them because I've just made cupcakes and it's just me and my husband in our house and I will take them to work and six people will eat them and then I'll still have 12 fucking cupcakes. So guess who eats 12 fucking cupcakes? Wow. I you. do. 
<laughs> it's not because my body is telling me that they want cupcakes. It's because there are fucking cupcakes in the damn yeah. house. See, I think that's the problem with intuitive eating. Like, I'm the same. Like, when I buy candy or, like, buy any kind of, like, dessert thing at the grocery store, my metric for how much I can buy is the amount that I'm consum- comfortable <laughs> – I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable <laughs> with myself consuming in the next 24-hour period because the chances are high that I'm going to eat all of it, whatever it is. And, like, if I do great, I might make it last two days. But I feel like it's a lot easier to just – I just buy, like, one to two days' worth, and then when I'm – when it's gone, it's gone. Uh, yeah, because otherwise yeah, I food waste. Yeah. yeah. No, no. Otherwise, then I would eat seven days' worth of dessert in one day is the problem. Um, I don't know. I mean, what do you think, though, about intuitive eating for this specific population? Because that's, that's what's really interesting here, and that's, that's the question, right? Yeah. Is that intuitive eating probably – for most of us, I, I wonder if there's there's so many triggers, you know, or so many temptations. If you put me in a room every day with all possible foods, I bet I would eat a ton of carbs and a ton of fruit and a ton of sugar. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm sure I'd eat meat and vegetables eventually, but like, yeah, if, if gluten-free cupcake is one of the options. And I want to tell you as a tangent that when you make gluten-free cupcakes, you only get 12, period. So you like find if you give six away you're like you feel very poor cupcake wise so when you were saying i give 12 away and i still have 12 i was like what is this cupcake miracle of which you speak (laughs) robin you just make a double batch well i might except for the cupcake mix is like five dollars a box so it's like yeah i want cupcakes but do i want cupcakes enough to spend like ten dollars on the mix alone and then frosting and then whatever you know, at a certain point, you're like, I want a cupcake for $20. Maybe I'll skip. <laughs> like, It's like gluten-free pizza. It's always $25. And you're like, it just, sometimes I want pizza, but I'm just like not willing to spend $25 on garbage. Then again, sometimes I am. <laughs> if you're spending $25 on garbage, you're doing pizza wrong. <laughs> well, I mean, if I go to like Dewey's, that's how much it is. Because they make you buy the but whole pizza. But it's not garbage. Oh, I see what you're saying. Well, I'm saying it's not super healthy. Healthy is a relative term, Robin. Well, I guess. That's what you yes, just you fucking would. said. <laughs> I'm, not putting, I'm not putting judgment values on, on healthy. Thank you. Healthy, healthy is a relative term. And when I eat an entire gluten-free pizza by myself, because it's thin crust, people, it's thin crust, I can't really be blamed. No. I do want to say that though. Sometimes people are like, "You ate the whole pizza," and I'm like, "Okay, but it's like it's like micro thin crust." Fuck and that! I eat the whole pizza all the damn time, <laughs> and it's thick and fluffy, and I love the shit out of it. Oh my god, I love it too, and I like eating ice cream afterward too. So how intuitive is that? I like it because the ice cream place is right next door to the pizza place. And when there's the Dewey's Graters combo, it's the greatest combo ever. It is the greatest combo ever. Oh, man. I do miss the Midwest sometimes, and it's those types of things that get me. <laughs> the pizza and the ice cream. Yeah, you're just going to have to drink your kombucha and be happy. Listen, there's a place here that makes gluten-free pizza, and they also have vegan options, and it's called Hot Lips. <laughs> and right. I never went there because I thought they weren't going to have it, but they do. Sweet. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> are you ready for the 
are you ready for this this episode brought to you by dewey's graders and hot lips um yes (laughs) are you ready for our next article i mean is it gonna be pizza related it is not fine i mean in maybe in a securitous way um our next article comes from newsweek and is is marijuana use while pregnant safe here's what we know so far a new study published in JAMA this week shows that more pregnant women are using marijuana than previously Why noted. did you say what, JAMA? It's J-A-M-A. How would you pronounce that? Yeah. Oh, I, I don't know. I just, <laughs> you said it like a Jamaican. JAMA. <laughs> JAMA. I'm going to assume it's a Journal of American Medicine Association, but I'm not positive, Me- so. Yeah, med- medical association, yes. I just made that up. Um... According to a report in the state of California, nearly a quarter of pregnant teenagers and about one in five pregnant women between the ages of 18 and 24 admitted to using the drug. However, the jury is still out on whether a pregnant woman's marijuana use is really that dangerous to her unborn baby's health. And if so, how? So basically, this article is telling us that more people are using drugs, but we don't know what it's doing because no one has done Mm -hmm. um, any kind of research on it because it's fucking marijuana. Yeah, and that's one of the things that makes makes the cannabis industry such a challenge, right? Is like, there's all these purported benefits, but because the substance was illegal in so many places for so long, we just haven't studied it all that much. There is a, the one study that is cited is a 1987, so that is a, a 30 year old study on, mm-hmm. uh, monkeys suggested that HTHC could not readily cross the placenta in monkeys. Okay. In monkeys. But more recent so research yeah. suggests otherwise. Dun dun dun! Oh, weird. So the image for the story is like a mouth. With a blunt in it, but the mouth is, I mean, if you were to measure it, maybe four inches tall. So yeah, it's kind of like a really suggestive image, and I'm not really sure why. Like, I can see why it fits for the story, but every once in a while, I'm just like, this is really weird. Yeah. So basically, what they're saying is, there's not enough studies for a doctor to feel comfortable in suggesting that a woman smoke in any amount. What about edibles, though? It's talking about the, the, there are over 66 cannab- cannabinoids. And, natural and actually, com- I thought it was 113, not 66. Or I, natural I, components found in cannabis. Each of them may affect, may have different effects on the body. Okay, yeah. I clicked through to their link and they've got something cited from like, some institute at the University of Washington or something. But like a much more often cited number is 113. And I'm pretty sure I'm right about this because we've been through it before. So take that Newsweek. Also, I don't really trust the accuracy on this piece because Newsweek cited Healthline. And I usually think that would go the other way around. So. Is Healthline not reliable? Um Healthline is fine. It's just not as journalistic. It's more of like a reference. Um, full disclosure, I like freelance for them for 10 minutes. I'm not currently freelancing for them. Um, but but yeah, I mean, Newsweek, this, is, this would be like if the New York Times quoted the Dayton Daily News, 
There's nothing wrong with the Dayton Daily News. It's just kind of like unusual. Well, it's cut. It's it's quoting Healthline with regards to like how a how doing drugs makes makes you feel good. <laughs> like, yeah, that, and that's the uh, like it seems like the. But I guess it's yeah. important to cite it. So here's the story but about that's not like. Yeah, I mean, Healthline's not exactly a primary source, which is why I'm just kind of, like, confused about that citation. And it's like, well, I would think that the way that marijuana works is more or less in the, like, common public domain at this point. I'm just confused. Okay, I've noticed in my work, like, doing editor types of stuff, that sometimes people will cite something or they put something in, in quotation marks because they don't know what it is. So they'll be like, you know, blah, blah, blah is like, quote, technologically supercharged. And you're like, why did you quote that? And it comes down to like the person just didn't know. So I wonder if here they were like, this sounds science-y. I better cite something. I don't know. It's just surprising. Yeah. I just I just thought it was interesting. So we're doing a behavior, but because of... um it's legality in some places like where you are it's legal but where i live it's not um right but we could both be pregnant and we don't really know what the ramifications of those are watch out (laughs) i mean i'm just saying we're of like we're of yes we're women of a certain age Mm -hmm. we are however outside of uh, the teenagers and 18 to 24 year olds that are being researched in this particular study. But I think that's like a, a reflection of how times are changing where marijuana is legal. Yeah. So we know the effects of like, do we know the effects of like smoking on a fetus or whatever? But like, do we know mm-hmm. the effects of marijuana? The answer is no. Right. Yeah. Here's what we know so far. Nothing, fuckers, because it's illegal. <laughs> Almost nothing, yeah. Yeah. You're not going to get a grant like to study it, because why <laughs> Why? Why would we do that, you know? <laughs> do you see the quote at the bottom? What? <laughs> this, this guy, I'm not going to dignify him by naming him, but <laughs> wrote TLDR, we don't know anything. And that's, for those who don't know, TLDR is too long, didn't read. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know anything. But he's right, right? If you had to, if you had to sum up this story in one sentence, that's it. Here's what we know so far: nothing. Nada. First of all, it's science, um, so we're never going to be certain about anything. But right. second of all, it's science about a legal thing. So I don't know. What does mm-hmm. the ne- does the Netherlands not do research on this stuff? Isn't it legal oh, there? Hmm. Yeah. Sometimes I just feel like we're maybe so, uh, like, United States-centric that we're like, no one else does science. <laughs> or, like, no one else does science the way we do science, and we're not going to trust their science. We're going to use our own science. Right. So According to science. According to science. I'm also surprised that, like, they didn't immediately go to edibles. Like, I'm surprised that pregnant women would... Would smoke. be smoking pot. Yeah, I mean, when there's two delivery methods, I feel like most pregnant women are going to go for the edible, right? I mean, yeah, because like I know smoking's bad, so I'll just eat it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Hmm. 
All right. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to find stuff on other countries. <laughs> oh, man. The Canadians think that there can be adverse effects on cognitive development, academic achievement, behavior, attention, hyperactivity, impulsivity, blah, blah, blah. They say there's emerging evidence of increased likelihood of smoking, substance abuse, and delinquency among adolescents who were prenatally exposed to cannabis. That's got to be really hard to prove, though. Because also, if you have parents who are smoking pot, like, you're probably more likely to use it anyway. Yeah. I don't know. Honestly, I also feel like there's a lot of biased information about this because it's so political that a lot of organizations have, like, an agenda on, on, on both sides, right? Governmental organizations always want it to be terrible, and people who sell it and create it and dispense it want it to be healthful. And sometimes I feel like we almost need government funding for the research just to get like a neutral third party. Although I guess I just said the government was biased. I don't know. Someone, we need like a neutral party doing some research. Yeah, for sure. So. All right. All right, bad experts. Look it up. Yeah, look it up. Are you ready for our fourth and final article? Mm-hmm. Um, this one comes from uh, Bustle. Bustle? 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 This one comes from <laughs> Bustle. That That's not a news outlet. Yes, it is. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> is it? Yep, it shows up in my news. Uh, night oh disease that might be show up as fatigue. Wait, what? Nine diseases that might show up as fatigue. <laughs> this feels like one for the worried well. What have we got? So there's chronic fatigue syndrome, thyroid Shocker. issues, <laughs> Lyme disease, which, by the way, totally thought it was spelled differently than that. Uh, it's oh. L-Y-M-E. I definitely yeah. thought it was uh, like, L-I-M-E? Yep, like, like the citrus? Yep, like the citrus. So I feel dumb. Uh, Anema. Anemia. Anemia. I'm going to let you go for the next one. Moralgia. Parasthetica. Inflammatory bowel disease. Celiac disease. Heart disease. And depression. So you're talking about the different types of fatigue. And I thought... What other things could I worry about besides being tired? <laughs> like, maybe your fatigue isn't really fatigue. Maybe it's just one of these other diseases. Maybe you have Lyme disease. I just, I just, it just, it just, it just made me, it made me annoyed. <laughs> yeah, it, it seems kind of unhelpful because almost every illness makes you feel tired, right? I mean, Wait, you also might just have a fucking cold, <laughs> right? You also might have not gotten enough sleep or uh, you're dehydrated or like whatever. I still looking at this one. Is celiac disease a- is the main like symptom fatigue? No. I mean, like, ge- like feeling generally crappy is something, but a lot of it is like gastrointestinal distress and symptoms. I mean, as as it goes on, you can develop all sorts of issues because you're essentially becoming malnourished. But um, 
And yes, malnourishment would make you tired, but you're going to have a lot of other symptoms before <laughs> before you become malnourished, right? Right. Uh, I just I just thought this was like this felt like first year medical school. Oh my god, I have everything. You know, like you're tired. Yes. Here are the things that you need to worry about. Like it's just one or more like, thing. Yeah, like heart disease. If tiredness is your only symptom, <laughs> I. I don't know. Or like depression. It's like somebody like, like went into WebMD and like type in your type in your um your your um yeah. symptoms. Your symptoms. Fatigue. And then just pulled like the top nine results. Yeah, but the weird thing is they, they chose this one like they chose a bunch of things that are like big broad buckets that like tons of people can have, right? Mm-hmm. Like anemia, thyroid issues, depression chronic fatigue they're like somewhat broad and then they chose this little known neurological condition that happens to women some women during pregnancy or people this like neuralgia however you say it paresthetica i mean i've never heard of this i've never seen this word before which doesn't mean it's not a real thing but i'm just saying like where did they find this one this refers to a nerve problem. The nerve that goes to the surface of the outer thigh is compressed, resulting in tingling and pain on the skin. Which I feel like is so, a bigger fucking symptom than fatigue. Yeah. And it says, this is a slightly lesser known cause of fatigue. No, I'm saying this is a little to almost unheard of cause of fatigue, unless you're like an OBGYN or a pregnant woman who's reading a ton of books. Like, What? What? I have tingling and pain on my skin. Also, I'm tired. What could it be? <laughs> and, like, the the most bizarre thing about this whole piece is that they accompanied the this Moralgio thing with a time-lapse video of a woman's growing pregnant belly. Which is just, like, distracting and strange. Without that symptom, it is exceptionally unlikely that this is your issue. But if you do, it's important to note, as you may be suffering from that damage, and that could become a permanent without intervention. Yeah. So, so hey, if you have this and you don't get it taken care of, it's going to be super problematic. Yes, but but I'm just, not going to oh. go to the doctor because I'm tired. I'm going to go to the doctor because my thigh hurts. Yeah. My thigh is on yeah. fire. I do not have thunder of thighs. <laughs> it's so weird. Like, I just don't... I mean, even if you were going to write this article, this isn't a good list. I mean, I, I, if you're going to write this article, this is a good list minus the one, right? Because I guess the whole point of the article is to be clickbait and to get as many people to read as possible. And, you know, if you've got, if you're targeting everyone, then yes, pick the common illnesses. But I feel like the person had to come up with with a certain number and they were one short and they found, they found this. I don't know. I just... Well, spoilers, every disease might show up as fatigue. Maybe not like ADHD. You know, like, but a ton of diseases might show up as fatigue. Yes. This is dumb. This is just dumb. Yeah. We need to get this person and the person who did the um the story about the New Year's resolutions together. And we need to, like, give them some hard-hitting research and just see what they come up with. Yeah. You know. For science. For science, according to science. All right, Robin, what's your current medical fascination? Okay, so this week I've been recovering from kind of a nasty cold. 
And one of the things that I've been wondering about is how many of the over-the-counter cough remedies, like cough syrups and NyQuil and, you know, just like all the different like multi-medication pills and syrups that you can buy, how many of them actually are proven to work versus being like more or less a complete placebo? Because one of the things I looked up, I think last winter when I was sick, was cough syrups and came to realize that like there wasn't really a lot of evidence that they did anything. And in my experience, they they don't do a lot. And, you know, all those things like the preventive, like airborne and emergency, there's not great evidence for those either. And so I started to wonder if it's just a gigantic conspiracy. And I'm like, is there anything that is actually shown to work? Or are we just, just like, they've got us over a barrel because we're desperate and we don't feel good. And so that's what I've been kind of curious and wondering about for entirely selfish reasons. Fair enough. So I think that's about enough bad patienting for me for one day. But before we let you guys go, I wanted to give you some information about submitting questions and comments. You can email us at hello at thebadpatient.com. You can visit us on Twitter at thebadpatient. Um, you can listen online using the Apple Podcast app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, you can send our link to your curious friends and family members who might want to listen and you can just give them our direct URL, which is thebadpatient.com. And we take questions, comments, and we're so happy if you would rate, share, and subscribe to the podcast. And we want to say a special thank you to Evan Schaefer, our composer for our theme song. You can listen to his music at soundcloud.com slash Evan Schaefer. Until next time, we are Bad Patient. Thanks, Evan. Malpractice makes perfect. Sure